The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We're just finishing up the book of Ephesians, and and, uh, I wanted to spend one Sunday just talking about prayer because this is how Paul ends the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Notice verse 18. This is, the, this is this, the conclusion of the entire book. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in mind, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness, the mystery of the gospel. And you remember that Paul is in prison when this letter comes, when he sends this letter to them. And so he's asking them to pray for him in that situation that he would be fruitful in sharing the gospel. And he was. If you, if you follow, this, uh, follow this up in the, in the history of the church and in the book of Acts, you find out that there were many, many people, many men in the in the a part of the guards in the prison he was in who came to faith in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 24, which I am an ambassador in chains. And all he means by that is I'm in prison. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know about the circumstances that I am doing, how I am doing Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful servant of the Lord, will make everything known to you. I'm sending him to update you on how I'm doing. I have sent him to you for this purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to you with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. What I'm going to do is we're going to talk about prayer, but I'm going to look at several other places as well as uh, these few verses we have in, in Ephesians. But I want to talk about prayer. You notice the title of this sermon is how can we become more effective and joyful in prayer? Maybe you didn't know you were supposed to be joyful, but that's exactly what Peter says. He says, as a result of your relationship with Jesus Christ, which is exercised as you pray, Uh, He says to the people he's writing to, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. They had never laid eyes on him. Now, Peter's writing this, and he had. He had been with Jesus for three years, three and a half years. But he says to them, you've never seen him, but you love him. And you're not seeing him now. But you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. As you you experience the salvation of your souls, the, the result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is, your soul is being set free. You're beginning to have the kind of hard attitude that you should have towards Jesus Christ. Your emotions are being affected by your relationship with him. You have real joy. As you probably have noticed, the fruit of the Spirit are emotions. They're affections. Love, joy, and peace are the most basic positive uh, affections or emotions that we experience. And it's through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll, if you'll look, your little, there's a little outline in the bulletin, if you've got one. 
And there are just three things here. It's, this is what we need to be doing if we are to become more effective in, and joyful in our prayer. First of all, we have to be clear in our purpose. Why are we praying? And uh, we're going to look at that. What, is, what does the Bible say? Why should we pray? And then secondly, we should be confidence, confident in results that God is going to answer prayer because he's a part of the team. That, I don't mean that to be minimizing him. The, the Father, Son, and Spirit, and you are working as a team when you pray. And then finally, be careful in practice. Uh, first of all, you have to discover what God's will really is as you pray, because if you pray according to his will, we're told, uh, he will answer you. He will do it, and we will receive what we're asking for if we pray according to his will. And uh, that's not a mystery. It's not having a voice from heaven speak to you and say, I want you to pray for Harry this week so that, that I can enrich him or something like that. We, we know his will by learning it from the word of God. His will is referring to his own attitude and his own feelings towards things, his desires. What does God desire to do? Well, we know he desires to save people. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God desires all men to be saved. And he means whether male or female, all people to be saved. And so you can never waste your time in bearing witness to somebody about Jesus Christ because that's a, and praying about it because that's according to his will, his desire. Now, why is it so, if, so difficult and to be effective and joyful in prayer? Well, D.A. D. Carson wrote a book a while back called, several years ago, it, it was called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. And this is what he said. Listen to this. He says, I doubt if there is any Christian who has not sometimes felt, found it difficult to pray. In itself, this is neither surprising nor depressing. It's not surprising because we are still pilgrims. You haven't arrived yet. So we're still pilgrims with many lessons to learn. He goes on, it is not depressing because struggling with such matters is part of how we learn. We grow. We grow through, through uh, when we come up against something and we don't know how to push through and we continue to trust the spirit and he leads us and guides us and enables us. We grow through that. We grow in our likeness to Jesus Christ. So what we're going to look at, first of all, you can see in the little handout, we're going to be looking at these, these three things. And that is to be clear in purpose, to be confident in results and to be careful in practice. This is what we need to do in order to be more effective and joyful in our prayer. I don't know if you ever thought about that, uh, but God wants us to, to, to rejoice in our privilege of praying to him. We can come to him at any time. Nobody else like that. I, got a, I woke up about three o'clock this morning, and, uh, <laughs> which isn't unusual, and I got a text at three o'clock, 3 a.m., Dan isn't here, is he? Dan sent me a text, and he had a theological question. And I'm going to pass it on to Mike today and have him answer him. But uh, he was very curious about this particular passage and what it was implying. 3 a.m. Of course, he probably thought, I'll send it now, but he'll get it tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. But I was awake, so I got it. So first of all, we need to be clear in purpose. In other words, don't remember why you are praying. Why has God called you to pray? Why is it important to pray? Because the Bible puts a, this as a very important part of our Christian life. It's one of the primary ways that we relate to God, by praying to him. 
The most obvious reason we have to pray, of course, is that God has commanded it. You've been commanded to pray. The Lord Jesus Christ has commanded it that we pray. And uh, Jesus commanded us to pray. He says, for those who pers- we pray for those who persecute us. We pray that we won't come into temptation and that we will accomplish the Father's will. He says, that's the kind of thing we should pray for. I don't know if you've ever tried to pray through the Psalms, but that's a great practice. Open up the Psalms. You could read, if you read just uh, five chapters a day, you'll be through the Psalms in a year. You'll be through it 12 times. And it isn't, that isn't difficult. It takes you just a, a few minutes, but it, more than that, it is a moment, a time for you to fellowship with the Father by reading his word. Uh, Jesus modeled what he commanded us to do. It tells us in Luke 23, 34, he prayed, Father, forgive them. He's talking about their beating him and preparing him for the cross. And he calls out to the Father and says, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And they didn't. They didn't know what they were doing. They were being sinful, but they did not understand the implication of what was going on here. The early church modeled this. In fact, as you go through the book of Acts, every single chapter of of the book of Acts, you see the church praying or Christians praying. It's what we are to do. It's what he's called us to do. We have this privilege of praying. We pray on Sunday nights. We just started this last week, but tonight you can come to the second meeting that we have. We pray from five to six, and uh, we've got a lot of things to pray for. And it's not just uh, people in trouble. But also we want to pray that God's work would be accomplished in our midst, that we would see deep and profound transformation in our lives. We'd become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what we desire to do. And we need to pray for it. We need to ask him to do that very work in us. And um, so we need to we need to pray. And this is one of the reasons we need to pray is that this is how we can participate in God's purpose. I want you to turn with me uh, to a passage that talks about this, and that's Romans 8. You all know Romans 8, 28, right? God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But I want you to see what leads up to that. And uh, if, you, if you turn to Romans 8, 26, this is how he sets up that statement. In verse 26, it says, And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though I, that's, that's chapter 9. You caught on that real quick, huh? 9 through 11 is all about, the, about Israel. Uh, 8.26, in the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness, you have a weakness in infirmities, it says in the King James Bible. It means you have a weakness that you can't function normally with this weakness. And so he says, in the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. I want to go back so you can see this in its context. He says back in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers pains of childbirth together until now. He's talking about the fact that the, the creation is going to be set free from the bondage that it is experiencing right now because of the fall. This is something, the way this is put together in the Bible, that God creates man to oversee, to rule over the creation. And creation is affected by the fall. When, when Adam sinned and therefore the whole human race became alienated from God, it had a great impact upon the creation. 
And so he says here that we should be concerned about this. He says, for the anxious longing, this is verse 19, for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God when the creation is going to be set free. For the creation was subjected to futility, that is meaninglessness, not willfully, but because of him who subjected it. God did this. It was judgment upon the earth because of the fall of Adam, the first man. But he says it was in hope. And what he means by that is God gave us a promise. He's going to do something about this. That's what Dan's question was about, was about what he was going to do about it. He had a specific question. And he says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willfully, but because of him who subjected it, that is God, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Isn't that going to be great when your car doesn't rust anymore? When food doesn't go bad? The corruption that's in this world? He says, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Adoption as sons means that you have come to know God as your father. You call him father. In fact, this is, a, this is one of the most important things about prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the very first thing he says is, this is how you pray. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so he says that we groan and so forth, but he says but we do this in hope. Verse 24, we have been saved, in, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is already, it already sees? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, that is, this creation being set free, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, our infirmity. That is, we don't know how to pray as we should. Could you say amen to that? Isn't that true? We don't know how to pray as we should? I mean, there are some times when you get down to pray and you don't even know what to say. In fact, you start talking and you think, well, I'm just blabbering on. I've said this last week. Is God even listening to me? But listen to what happens. He says that the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I'm going to tell you why that's important. What he's talking about is the Holy Spirit actually feeling what you feel in need of from God. And he communicates that to the Father through his groaning. His intercede, he intercedes with groanings. And he says, and he who searches the hearts, that's one of the titles of God. God searches the hearts. Guess what? The, the people that you live around can't see into your heart. They don't really know what's going on. But God can. He sees your heart. He knows us. We are totally transparent to him. And he says, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He is interceding according to God's will. So when he intercedes for you, he's not asking uh, the kind of silly stuff that you might ask for yourself, for God to do, but he's asking for what you really need, for what really would manifest the glory of God in your life. And he says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. In other words, uh, God is working everything 
And what the Bible teaches is there's nothing that can touch your life that's not a part of his good purpose in your life. He's going to accomplish it. He's going to accomplish his purpose in your life. And so the spirit groans. He's expressing our deeply felt needs to the father. And the father understands what the spirit is asking for. And he works. And you might be thinking, well, why should I pray then if the Holy Spirit prays? That, that is a total misunderstanding of the joy there is in prayer and the great blessing there is in you being able to talk to the Father. But the second reason, that the second thing that we need to be clear about is we pray to receive from God's hand. Yeah, James 4.2 tells us that we, uh, we have not because we don't ask. And sometimes when we ask, we ask with the wrong motive and so we don't receive what we're asking for. Uh, what this reveals is God's kindness and his wisdom by requesting us to ask as a means of receiving. You know, God didn't have to include prayer in his plan. He could, have just, he could have just given you what he wanted to give you and never wait for you to ask. But because he respects the fact you've been created in his image, he wants you to come to him in prayer and to ask as the spirit opens your eyes to what the real needs in your life are. They're not what many people think. The real needs in our life is I need the spirit to work in me. I need him to transform me. I need for him to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. And so by requesting us to ask as a means of receiving, God produces three things. When you ask, he produces dependence. You become dependent upon him. You admit that you desperately need him to work and act. And you have fellowship with him. That is, you're sharing something in common. You're sharing your heart with him as you pray and ask him to meet your needs. And you're, you're experiencing faith in him. You're manifesting faith in him. You actually believe he can answer your prayers. Isn't that amazing? That you believe he can answer your prayers. Um, we, one of the best prayer meetings I was ever in was in this church. We, there was a lady in our church, I probably told this 15 times, I'm gonna repeat myself. Uh, she was giving birth to a child fairly late in the, the, this was their last child, and so she was in her late 30s. She was giving birth to this child, and all of a sudden things went bad. And she started hemorrhaging, and they couldn't stop it. They, sent, they, they had highway patrol people bringing uh, blood to this hospital to keep her alive. And so her husband called, and we were in the middle of a house fellowship, and he told me what was going on. He says he was really broken. He said, uh, they're telling me they don't think they can save her. And so I said, I'll be right there. And I told the Bible study. I went down there. And then all the Bible studies ended up coming down there while we were praying for her. And so the nurses said, we can't have you praying here because we don't have room. So we're going to give you a room. And so they put us in a room. We went there and we prayed together. And we called upon the Lord. And it was wonderful. And the reason it was wonderful is I I was hearing believers pray like I had never heard them pray. Because they really understood this was a crisis. And so they were calling upon the name of the Lord. And God answered prayer, our prayer. And as these nurses came in, first of all, and told us, you keep on praying because we don't understand how, but something's changing. And then the doctor comes in and he says, I don't understand what you're doing, but I'm telling you, it worked. And she stopped her hemorrhaging. And she is, I just, they just came by and saw me a, a month or so ago with the boy that she gave birth to. And his name is Justin Prayog, 
and his dad calls him just pray because that's what we did. We just prayed and God spared his life. And so we come together to pray. In fact, we're told in, in the, book, the little book of Jude, it says that the way we keep ourselves in the love of God is by our life together, that we build one another up in the most holy faith and we pray in the Holy Spirit together. We pray together, we get together and we pray and we call upon his name and we trust him and believe him. And we encourage, we encourage each other's faith. There's nothing like being cheered on when you're praying for something like that. When you're hearing people say, amen, do it, Lord. Accomplish this task. Um, and, so the, and then the third thing is we, particip- we, are, we want to be clear in purpose. And one of the purposes is to be transformed into the image of God. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. Uh, I want you to turn there because this is one of those verses you should know by memory. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18. He's talking about Moses in the previous context, about how what Moses would do, he would go in and talk to the Lord, and when he came out, he would put a veil over his face because his face was shining. It was the effect of him experiencing the glory, the manifest glory of God. And so he builds on this. He says he knew it was going to fade away. And he says, but this it's different now because of this new covenant. The fact is, instead of it fading away, it's becoming more glorious. And so he says in in verse, uh, let me read from verse 15. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over there. That is the Jew's heart. They don't hear the message about Jesus Christ unless, unless the Spirit of God acts and works in a specific way. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So he's using this analogy, this picture. And then he says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But as but we all with unveiled face, that is all believers today under the new covenant, we pray with unveiled face. We come to the father and we reveal who we are. We speak directly to him and he sees us and he says, we we pray with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The Spirit is changing us. He changes us through his word, and he changes us as we pray through the word. If you haven't done that, if you've never prayed through the word, you should start doing it. The easy place to start is the book of Psalms. And just start praying through the, 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 very th- the words of the text. They, they key you to ask for the right things. They instruct you what you should be asking for. You want God to work in your life in a deep and powerful way. You want God to do something supernatural in you. That is to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Now think of what's going on when we pray. We're fellowshipping with God. We're sharing our heart with him. We're seeking his heart and will. We're listening to his voice. That is, we're listening to his voice through his word, and we're, we're praying in response to that. We're studying and meditating on the word and representing ourselves to God for his help, his examination, and his correction. Do you like to be corrected? Well, it's wonderful to be corrected by the living God, let me tell you, because he's a loving father. You know what my dad used to say to me when he spanked me? I hate to admit I needed spanking, but... My dad, he would always say this. I heard him say it a hundred times. I probably got spanked a hundred, maybe 5,000 times. But he said, son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I actually believed him. 
because he wouldn't, he would hardly ever spank me when there weren't tears in his eyes. The father, when he chastens you, when he corrects you, it's because he loves you. And it's a manifestation of his love. And Romans chapter 5 says that's exactly how we experience it. The love of God is gushed forth in our hearts as he is disciplining us. So we come to the Father and we ask him to meet our needs. And we have to be clear in our purpose. And part of the purpose is growing close to him. Have you ever thought of this? God is more interested in you enjoying his company than accomplishing something great and mighty for him. He actually wants you to enjoy his company. He wants you to fellowship with him. He wants you to come before him and to, and to ask based upon the word of God, what do I really need? I need my heart changed. I need to stop so many things in my life. I need to stop them and I need to start a bunch of new things in the way that I think of people, brothers and sisters in Christ, for example. How are we supposed to treat each other? How are we supposed to love each other? And believe me, it doesn't come naturally. It comes through the, the work of the Holy Spirit. The last thing is we, we need to remember that we're praying for the glory of God, of the Father. I want to look at John chapter 5, verse 14. Just listen to this. It says, these things, this is verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You get that? John thought it was important that you know you have eternal life. That's why he gave us 5, 11, and 12. This is God's testimony, that he has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, and whoever has the Son has the life, and whoever does not have the Son does not have the life. Now, what's so important about having eternal life? It doesn't just mean you're going to live forever. It's, it's much deeper than that. It's the fact that you can know God. That's John seventeen three In his priestly prayer, he says, he says to the Father, This is the purpose of eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So when you receive eternal life, all of a sudden you can understand and know God and know his son. And so you can talk to him. Now what he says here, this is the confidence in 1 John 5, 5.14. This is the confidence. Okay, let me read 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But then he goes into verse 15, he says, and if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Isn't that something? If God hears you, he's going to answer you? Well, don't you think he's, he's better than most mothers? And have you noticed that when kids need, have a need and they tell their mother, she always meets the need? At least that's the way I've seen it. God is, is like a mother to us, we are told. She loves us like a mother loves her child. And she says, even a mother may abandon her infant child, but I'll never abandon you. The reason mothers love like they do is because God created them to do that. And he wants you to know that he loves you. And so whatever he, when you know that he hears you, you know that he's going to give you what you have asked. And, but the thing is, I, the only way I can know that, I, that he hears me is if I pray according to his will. And you say, well, how are we ever going to know that? 
Well, if you understand what will means here, it's not the, 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 it isn't the word that means a decision. It's the word that means a desire. If you know his desires for you, well, where in the world are you going to find out where the, what the desires of God the Father is for you? Where are you going to find that out? Or you go to one of these meetings where they prophesy and they give you all kinds of, of news about things, getting a direct word from God, but be careful because it may be they're telling you something that's not true. So where can you go? I want somebody to answer. You can only go to his word, right? That's the only place to go. You go to his word and you discover what the father's will is for you as one of his children. And so you ask him to do exactly what he wants to do for you. He wants to conform you into the image of his son. He, want, he, put the, he put the son in us. The son resides in the believer so that we could be conformed into his image. Because that's what the father wants to see. You see, his desire is that his son would be the firstborn among many brethren. That means a great multitude. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. So we can ask for that, and we know that he is responsive to that request. And that means that you can pray that he would empower you to overcome those things that are distracting you, those things that are corrupting your heart. Those things that you know mean that you must be far from God. Because, have you noticed this, that we all would rather sin in the dark than in the light? We, we want to sin where nobody else sees us. This is weird. Uh, it's, it's really weird because every time you sin, every single time you sin, you sin in the face of God. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart. And so you can pray, Father, give me the power to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. I notice that I keep falling into this trap and I want you to empower me to stand firm so that I can become more like Christ. That's what we can pray and we can ask. And you may be praying later, okay, let up a little bit. Because he has the power to work in your life. And he, he has certain things that he wants to bring into reality in your life. The second thing we're supposed to do, the reason that prayer is so important is, and what we must do in order to pray with effectiveness and joy, is we have to be confident of the results. Remember in 1992 when they had the U.S. Olympic men's basketball team? What did they call it? The dream team. They called it the dream team because every single position was played by a man who was probably the best in the world at that position. Now, before that, they had never let professionals play in the Olympics, but that changed, and so we put our best professionals in there. One, hands down, no problem. But they were a team. They were a dream team. Well, guess what? Prayer is a team sport. It's you and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so what God wants us to do is recognize what our role is. You know what your role is? To have needs and to communicate those needs. Do you have any needs? Then you're qualified to be on the team. You're qualified to be on this team of prayer. And so you go to him. 
and you, and you realize that what you are doing is you are fellowshipping with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you're asking him to do exactly what he wants to do. Now, we have no, no means of our own. We can't produce our next breath apart from God's intervention and provision. We need him desperately. I need him in order to breathe. I need him in order to have, be in my right mind. I got an evaluation from a class I taught this last quarter, and I had insomnia that first three weeks of that class. I was sleeping about an hour and a half a night. And I was goofy. And I read this, this uh, evaluation, and the guy says, I'll tell you what he says first, just to make me feel good. He said, it's obvious Frank is brilliant, but his lectures were I forget how he put it, but basically confusing. <laughs> I thought, you're exactly right. I was confused. I was waking every, up every single morning when I was, well, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. I was waking up, and I was coming out of a dream. Have you ever done that, where you come out of a dream, and you can't remember, you can't even figure out whether the dream is reality or it's not reality? And that's how it was. And I felt so sorry for these guys. I probably apologized to them 15 times. I'm so sorry that I'm in such a mess. I can't think straight. But we are on a team in prayer where we can go before the Father with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and we can ask for what we really desire, what the Spirit is producing in our heart. Now, the Father has a role, we have a role, and the Son has a role, and the Spirit has a role. Our role is to have needs. So don't pray if you don't have any needs. If you don't have any needs, there's something wrong with you. You're not thinking straight. But we all recognize we have profound needs. And, uh, and so we know that when we go to the Father, he is, he is the primary person on this team, the Father. Don't you love that fact that that's what Jesus did when he said to his disciples? And so when he would say to you, this is what he would say to you, pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, may your name be hallowed. That is, may, may we see it as holy and set apart. May I recognize who I'm talking to. You see, that's what the first part of the Lord's Prayer is. It's, it's that we need to know who we're talking to. We're talking to the Father. We're talking to the first person in the Trinity. And uh, so J.R. Packer said, Father is the Christian name for God. That's his name to us, isn't it? He's Father. I've had those, those times. I remember one time down in Fresno, I had a carload of kids in there, and all of a sudden my car broke loose. I think a, something happened, and I was going around and around, and I'm, I'm calling on the Father because I'm afraid I'm about to crash, and I bought this car full of kids. And so I called on the father. And I actually believed he heard me. And we came to a safe stop. Nobody got hurt. I was totally embarrassed, but I wasn't hurt. And so our father is the answer to all of our lack of resources. He's the only one who can meet your needs, your real needs. Now, there's a lot of times we don't even recognize what our needs are. I need the Spirit to do a deep and profound work in my life of changing my character. And he's the only one that can do it. And he only does it in response to the Father. The Father. 
Remember, the Father sent the Son to save us, to die in our place. And then he sent the Spirit to bring conviction to our hearts, to open our eyes, to understand the gospel. And so the Son and the Spirit are in us at the bequest of the Father. The Father has sent them to us so that we can pray. He who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's pretty simple, isn't it? If he gave us the Son, how can he withhold any good thing from you? How can, and the, the good thing is, are those things that God can do in your life to bring you to the place where you glorify Christ in your life and you live as one who is in his image. You'd be transformed by him. John Flavel, who was a Puritan, wrote, he says, how is it based upon Romans 8.32, which is, if he gave his own son, how will he not also will it with him freely give us all things? And this is what Flavel wrote. He said, how is it imaginable that God should withhold after this, after he's given his son, how can we even imagine that he would withhold any good thing from his people? How shall he not call them effectually, justify them freely, sanctify them thoroughly, and glorify them eternally? He was reformed. How shall he not clothe them, feed them, protect them, deliver them? Surely if he would not spare his own son, one stroke, one tear, one groan, one sigh, one circumstance of misery, it can never be imagined that, he, that ever he should after this deny or withhold from his people for, the, for whose sake all this was suffered, any mercies, any comforts, any privilege, any spiritual or temporal uh, blessing, which is good for them. How could he withhold anything? Now, sometimes he makes you wait because he's got something bigger to do in your life first. But the fact is, we have a father who's prejudiced towards us. We call him father, and he calls us his children. Now, I don't know about you, but I know this. I am prejudiced towards my children. Uh, I love them because of who they are to me. And the believer is in that same position. God loves us in a way that he loves us because we are his children. He has, put his, he has put his heart, he's given himself completely to us. So he answers to our lack of resources. The son, what the son does is he answers to our lack of merit before the father. He gives us perfect merit so that we have the right to go and ask the father to meet our needs. He serves continually as our sympathetic intercessor. Isn't that something that the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words? I know that you've heard a lot of different ways of of people to interpret that, but groanings, that word is used several times in the New Testament, always refers to those deep expressions of need and want, which which we express ourselves. If I don't get this, I'm going to die. If I don't get food, I'm going to starve. It's that kind of groanings. And so when the, when the Spirit groans within us and God interprets those groanings, he is saying, I, will, I know what your desire is. I know what your felt need is. And I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to give you more and better than you asked for. Which is what he's always done. Which all of you could testify to. That he's blessed you more than you ever thought. 
He, sometimes he's taken the worst situation in your life and he's turned it into a great blessing. Amen? He has. It's amazing what he, what he does. And it's because he loves us. Now, the son's role is to, to give us this merit. That is, that Jesus gives us his identity before the father. So the father treats us just like he would treat his own son. He blesses us richly. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. You know, that's Ephesians chapter 1. Now, how, do, how in the world do you enumerate that? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. It's far more than we can even imagine. His blessings on us are just absolutely amazing. Uh, John Calvin, referring to the son's role, says this, unless our hope of obtaining what we ask is founded on Christ, it deprives us of the privilege of prayer. For it's impossible to think that the dread majesty of God without being filled with alarm, and hence, that is going into the very presence of God. It would scare us to death, but we go into the presence of God clothed in Jesus Christ. Um, you know how it is when you go somewhere and you're not sure if you're dressed correctly. And sometimes, uh, you know, you wore your Levi's, your Levi's with the holes in the knees and old worn out tennis shoes. And then everybody's dressed in a tux and you wonder, I wonder if I should have dressed up a little bit. But the wonderful thing about going into the presence of God is he clothes you with Jesus Christ. He clothes you with his son. That's one of the most basic teachings of the New Testament, that when a person comes to faith in Christ, Jesus Christ comes to live with them in them. Christ is in them and they are in Christ and they're clothed in Christ. And so God sees you as having the righteousness of his son. And then the, the, he says we should pray with, in faith. We need this. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask in prayer, according to, to uh, 1 John. And so if, if we believe, we have to believe. Well, our going to the Father obviously should be a demonstration of our faith, our trust in him. When he says you have not because you ask not, he says that in, to the believers through James, you have not because you ask not. Could that ever be said of you? It could be said of me. I've been in those places and I heard those words and I realized I haven't even asked God to meet my need in this situation. I, didn't, I haven't even turned to him. And so he says, and when you do ask, you ask amiss, you're wanting to, display, to squander it on your desires. Well, what God wants us to do is come to him with the big needs, the real needs. What's our biggest need? To be conformed to the image of Christ. You know, we, are, we know for sure that the Bible teaches that what we should be doing as a church is to be making disciples. Making disciples is not a program. It is a relationship. It's an experience. People come to uh, grow as disciples through relationship and fellowship with other believers. Now, obviously, the, when you disciple someone, you're showing him how to take the next step. And so you need to be in that next step. You need to be growing. But that's okay, isn't it? Because he provides you with the Spirit of God to produce growth in your life. And he wants you to be engaged in discipleship and sharing your life with someone that they may grow as well. 
Now, the Spirit's role in this prayer, he's part of the team too. He's, he is the means where we had no means whatsoever. The merit where we had no merit was in Christ. And in, in Romans 8, 26, it says our weakness is we don't know how to pray as we should, as we ought. How many would confess that that is accurate? Only about four of you, but I just assume the rest of you are in need to your deficient as well, just like the rest of us. It's, we don't know how to pray as we ought, but we have the Holy Spirit. And I love the fact that he intercedes for us with groanings. In other words, he's expressing our deep felt need. He's expressing the fact that what we're asking for is a deep, profound need. And just like taking a breath. My grandson takes care of a little boy that's... Uh, he, he's got muscular dystrophy and he has these times where he can't catch his breath and it scares him to death that he doesn't know if he's going to breathe, take another breath. And so he, he was telling me all the different things he does to try to help him when that happens. And I thought, you know, that's the way we ought to be when it comes to praying. How, how long can you go without prayer? Maybe we could have a record here. I'm not going to really ask you this. I'm just metaphorically asking you this. <laughs> How long could you go without prayer? How long could you go without asking the Father to meet your needs? I don't believe a true believer can go very long at all. You may not get on your knees and open your Bible and pray, but you pray. Some of my best prayers are going down the freeway at about 70, and, but I keep my eyes open but uh, just calling upon the name of the Lord. We desperately need him, don't we? And sometimes things come to us in the midst of our everyday life, and we realize, God, we need you to act. We need you to work in this situation. We've been piddling around, and we realize that it's only you that can change this. You're the only one that can come into this situation and bring a solution. And that's why we're told that God allows us to go through trials. So that we get so desperate, we ask him. And we find out that he's a faithful father. He gives us what we need. So we need to be, uh, we need to be, realize our, our purpose. We need to have expectations that God is going to answer. And then finally, the last thing in your notes there is be careful in practice as you pray. Everything in heaven has been arrayed to our advantage in prayer. But we never approach with prayer in a sloppy, haphazard, careless manner. We recognize we're talking to the God of the universe. We're bowing our knees before the most glorious God. And so we come to him with that attitude. Um, and these are the, the, the things that we're told in that, this passage, those things that manifest the fact that we are careful in prayer. We're not haphazard. First of all, we have to discover God's will. How can you ask according to his will if you don't know his will? And what I'm getting at is you need to read the Bible enough to realize what God desires to do in his people. There's a group in America, a group of uh, preachers called prosperity preachers, and they tell people that what God wants to do more than anything else is he wants to make you rich. He wants to give you an airplane, a jet that you can fly around the world. That's a lie. He has much bigger desires for you than an airplane or money. His desire is that you be conformed to the image of his son. 
He wants you to be impacted by the person who's living in you right now. And so we have to discover his will if we're going to pray according to his will. And that's not that difficult. We can come to the word of God. We can read what, what God says his desires are. I keep, I keep saying this over and over again. My wife's not here anyway, so I can say it. But uh, the Bible tells me that I have to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. Do you realize how impossible that is? Now, I realize that she's probably the one person in the world to be easy to love. She is very easy to love. But to love her the way Christ loved the church? I mean, he died for the church. He laid down his life for the church. So I, I have to ask the Father, would you work in my life? Would you give me a heart of obedience that I could fulfill this commandment? But he also tells me to love you the way Christ loved the church. That's the new commandment. John 13, that we're to love one another the way Christ loved us. It's impossible. It's something that is supernatural, and God has to do it. So what do I do? I pray for it. I pray that we would become a local church, that we love each other the way Christ loved us, that we'd be, able, we'd be willing to sacrifice, lay down our lives for each other. I get, the, I get the greatest blessing watching people that get in situations like there's this food pantry down here on, on whatever that is, Tuesdays, and uh, giving food away. And there's people from our church that go and do that. And it's so great to hear them express their joy in doing it. <laughs> that's exactly what should happen. And that's the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is he breaks, your, he breaks you down to the place where you can love your enemies. You remember what Jesus said? You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, what that was all about was it was a way of expressing love your fellow Jew and hate the Gentiles. And I assume most of you are Gentiles. So they were ordered to, the, the Pharisees told them they should love their neighbors, that is their, neighbor, their Jewish neighbor, and hate Gentiles. But Jesus said, but I say unto you, love your enemy. Do good to those who try to harm you. Bless those who curse you. Isn't that amazing? And you see, you read that and you find that this is the will of God. So I'm supposed to pray, God, teach me how to love my enemy. Teach me how to love someone who is, I feel like has done me wrong. And, and when I get around them, I always feel this deep, profound anger that I want to get back at them. This is all metaphorical. No, I really do have those. I do have that. I do need God's empowerment. How can I love someone who has showed disdain towards me? How can you do that? Well, it's because we pray in faith. We actually believe that we can trust God, that he's told us to do this so we can, we can pray, we can say, we can quote the New Testament. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask whatever you ask for in prayer. God can actually change my heart so that I love the people that I would normally not love. That's why, that's why racism is so crazy for the church. So it's the craziest thing in the world for people to embrace that. Because we are one body. We have one Savior. We have one Father. And God wants us to love each other. There should be nothing Nothing about us as brothers and sisters in Christ that I would say, I just don't like that kind of person. 
You know, I don't like guys that wear beards. Or, or not. No, because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we love each other the way Christ loved us. And then the last thing is, if we're going to be careful in practice, we need to pray in perseverance. Pray with perseverance. What does that mean? It means to keep on going. You see, prayer is not mechanical. Prayer is a combination. It's not the opening of a combination, it being precise. Some people get that way about prayer. I got to say just the right thing in order for God to hear me and answer my prayer. Oh, you would laugh if you heard the things that God said, that God hears from believers. They're not going to say it just right. Yeah, you could, you could quote the Lord's Prayer. I've been to basketball games where they quote the Lord's Prayer. My, my grandson was in a, a Catholic league, and we'd go there, and they would always recite the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven as it is on earth and so forth. You could do that. But Jesus didn't give that prayer to be quoted. He gave that prayer to tell us the kinds of things we should pray for. And we should call him Father. I heard some wag say, well, prayer is real simple. It's just call him Father and tell him what you want. And I thought, you know, that's, that says a lot more than you realize. Call him Father and then ask him as a father to work in your life. Only buy into his values. He doesn't want to give you an airplane. What he wants to do is to give you a character like Jesus Christ. And that's impossible. Oh, believe me, it'd be easier for you to buy an airplane than it would for your character to change and be like Christ. That's supernatural. It's something only God can do. Now, I know what what our practice is. We pray about the other guy. You know, I'm praying that Dewey, that God somehow would change Dewey's character so he would be just like Jesus so I could have a friendship with a guy that was just like Jesus that's what we tend to do but no my burden is God change me teach me how to love people teach me how to care for people teach me how to build up people encourage them teach me how to communicate your word in a way that reaches the heart and so we come to the father and we talk to him as a as our father, this personal relationship we have with him. And we communicate to him what our heart feels, what we need, what we see as a need in someone's life. Somebody just told me that, um, that the Paisals, they live up north a little ways up towards Clear Lake, and the fire, this fire in Yellow County is moving towards them. And uh, I thought, you know, we should pray for them. The living, evidently, from what I heard, they're right in the path of this fire. Well, we can pray for them because they're our brothers and sisters. Sheila Goodson had to go to the hospital last night. She's got some kind of a problem, and they took her into the hospital. She's in an emergency, and they're trying to figure out what's wrong, maybe heart-related. We need to pray for her. She's a sister in Christ. And so we go to the Father, and we call upon him. We ask him to hear our prayers, and we pray according to his will. We pray according to his will. So while we do that right now, I'll lead in prayer, and you can... You can pray. You can pray as loud as you want, but um, don't make anybody nervous. (laughs) Okay, let's pray. Our Father, we bow before you right now because we have this assurance that you are our Father and that you care about us. Father, I ask you for Sheila that you would protect her, that you keep your hand upon her as she goes through this trial, that you would draw her close to you. 
that she would be so aware of your hand being upon her. We just ask you, Lord, to heal her and raise her up and give her strength. We're so thankful for the way that you've dealt with that family and how you've met their needs and how you have shown your love towards them. We pray you do that. We pray for the Paisals. We pray, oh God, that you would save them from harm. We pray that you would protect them. We pray, Father, that this fire could not reach them, but they would have confidence in you and they would call upon your name and that they would see you as their protector. They would see you as the one to whom they have absolute confidence. God, we pray, teach us to pray. Teach us to have confidence in you, to come together as the people of God and call upon your name and make our, let our requests be made known to you so that you can display your power and your love for us, Father, by answering prayer. We desire for you to use us as instruments in your hands, especially in this whole area of prayer. We pray that you would work in our lives. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.